0: This is episode number 239 with head of analytics recruiting at IT Search, Adrian Clark. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Today, I'm super pumped to have you on the show because we've got one of the top data science recruiters Joining us for this episode. Adrian Clark is a data science headhunter and head of analytics recruiting at IT search, a company which specializes in recruitment globally. Adrian has hired for roles ranging from data science beginners to data science practitioners to data science managers and even to top data science executives. And on this podcast, you will get tons and tons of knowledge from adrian we talked about things like the state of the data science industry globally uh, different data science roles that exist in the world uh, data science salaries and what to expect if you are getting hired or if you're hiring somebody uh, the gap in data science skills and why there is so much demand for data scientists uh, data science in various industries uh, some a very interesting concept of the hybrid Uh, professional that adrian talks about um, how to hire or get hired as a data scientist and lots and lots of other insights for your career or your business if you're a business owner so regardless of your level whether you're just starting out or you're a data science practitioner super happily employed or you're a business owner or an executive looking to hire data scientists this is a podcast where you will find those insights that you've been looking for I'm super excited for you to hear this episode. And without further ado, I bring to you Adrian Clark, Head of Analytics Recruitment at IT Search. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show here today because calling in from Dublin, we have Adrian Clark. Adrian, how are you going today?
1: I am super cool. How are you?
0: Fantastic, fantastic. It's uh, What time is it for you?
1: It is currently 5 to 7 uh, on a beautiful Friday morning. Uh, what time is it there?
0: Amazing. Well, for me, oh, it's uh, 5 to 5 evening or afternoon in um also on a friday on <laughs> a friday afternoon um thanks for waking up so early mate it's uh, it's a great pleasure to have you i'm super pumped like for our listeners we just went through the list of topics that we might cover off this podcast and all the things that we want to talk about it's insane like i am i'm really looking forward to chatting about these things how about you adrian
1: absolutely yeah um really humbled uh, to be asked to come on and uh, really enjoyed uh, listening to your podcast over the last week actually in advance of this. And uh, yeah, I think we've, we've a lot of ground to cover. So hopefully we get some of the way. Uh, and if we don't, maybe we could do it again.
0: We Fantastic. Sounds like a good plan. All right. Well, to kick us off, can you give us a brief overview? Who is Adrian Clark and um, maybe a bit about your background?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So ooh, Adrian Clark, So um, I was born in uh, 1990, 28. Uh, (laughs) There's a good starting point. So I come from a place in the northwest of Ireland, a country side upbringing, a place called Sligo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grew up there, went to school there, Um, later then attended college in in Trinity College in Dublin and uh, spent most of my adult life actually in Dublin thereafter. So I would probably have always seen myself as a city boy who was born in the country, If that's a a fair statement, Um, I have worked in the world of talent acquisition or recruitment for six and a half years now, uh, something I don't believe sometimes. And um, yeah, so based in Dublin, I live in the city centre. I'm an outdoors kind of guy, so health and fitness key part for me, but also someone who's very loyal to uh, my career. You know, I'm, I'm a career driven kind of person very passionate about people, which is always taken into, which is the reason why I suppose I'm in the world that I'm in, but also someone who's um, incredibly social, a bit of a techie, not going to lie, and also someone who really loves the arts and culture. So I think all of those things, that creative side, that professional side, and that kind of people-orientated focus um, are all parts that make up who I am.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks for for the brief brief overview. And you are uh, Head of Analytics Recruitment for IT Search and Selection. Tell us a bit about the company. What does IT Search do?
1: Sure, so IT Search is effectively a technology talent partner, uh, a global technology talent partner, I should say as well. We're based in Dublin City Centre. We're part of a wider group of companies, um, which consists of five companies overall um, across a variety of sectors. That's finance, life sciences, and construction technology, um, as well as HR and life sciences um, innovation. Uh, we'd also have a capital markets business as well that would work on kind of classic finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and IT Search really is the tech arm of all of that. So amongst our team, we have experts who are completely verticalized, myself being focused on data science, analytics, engineering, uh, insights and digital analytics. Um, I would have colleagues who specialize in software development and project management, as well as um, Microsoft technologies and various other development technologies. So we're four years old and we are reasonably, we think, uh, definitely innovative in what we do, in that uh, IT Search is a global supplier of talent, of course, internationally, but we're also consultative. So we represent candidates first um, and work with really superb blue chip uh, startup. Um, innovative and also um, really established companies as well, literally across the world. So we work across the European market, we work into Asia, we work into North America. And from time to time, we're asked to work on really interesting and unique projects um, and other um, surprising locations. And in those instances, we're quite happy to fly out because our USB is really one of those, um, or sorry, our USB really is to be one of those businesses that you know, doesn't necessarily want to set up um, a multiple multitude of offices across the world. What we'd rather do is be truly global, not be domiciled to one area or zone so that we can represent the candidates we work with um, ubiquitously. And also from a commercial standpoint, be a truly, you know, nomadic business in 2019. I mean, our people can take a plane. We can work internationally. We're, um, we're at, what, what I like to call, maybe get the bold face of, you know what talent acquisition should look like in 2019 because the war for talent is on, and uh, you know you need to be innovative, you need to be disruptive to be successful in this market, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and that's what we're about. Mm-hmm. Love it, totally love it. Uh, we talked about this about, a bit about this before uh, we started the recording, and this is so cool that even though you're based in one location, you have access to a pool of talents and you seek this um, access to a pool of talent throughout. The whole world throughout globe, and you actually also help companies place uh, and find talent all throughout the globe wherever they are. So uh, it's really cool because that means what we're going to be discussing today is not just a localized view of what's happening in the world of data science and recruitment, headhunting for data scientists in Ireland in Dublin. This is a global worldview. Would you say that's quite accurate?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's the the differential here in. Um, we're very fortunate to be, I would think, and maybe a little bit biased in saying this, but we are one of the only true data science, data analytics um, talent partners in the Irish market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm surprised when I look at this, I mean, globally, even at an executive search level, um, the majority of organizations haven't developed a data science or analytics practice. Um, maybe that's down to a lack of knowledge in the space or maybe because the space is so uh, fast changing or ever evolving. Um, or maybe it's because people aren't passionate about it um, and I am so four and a half years nearly four years or sorry four years of, of pure data science analytics engineering head recruiting mm-hmm. you know you learn a lot and the candidates have taught me a lot and um, it's humbling but it's also it also gives me a very strong sense of duty as well to represent those people properly so in terms of your listeners you know I realize that you know this people here who might be starting out their careers, people who are quite established, there's people here who may be interested in hiring people for the first time and want to understand how they do that, why they should do that um, and the challenges in. But also, you know, it's really important to kind of know that there are companies in the world who really know this and specialize in this and are experts in that. So if I can share a little bit of that today and give people some confidence in finding a partner to help them with that, I'm happy with that, of course, but also, um, if there are people listening today who really are at a crossroads in understanding where they need to go or, or they're trying to figure out what are the, the latest trends in data or what they should be looking out for, hopefully we can help those guys too.
0: Awesome. Sounds, sounds like a great plan. Well, to probably the next step for us would be, tell us a bit about, you know, what range of roles do you hire for? Like, What are, um, is it just mostly junior data scientists, is it executive searches across the board? Just so we know what kind of experience uh, or the things that you've experienced throughout your career in the headhunting space?
1: It's a great question. So broadly speaking, I, I cover a number of key themes. So data science is an absolute specialism of mine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something I love um, and I get it. So when I sit down with candidates, you know, I speak technically. Uh, a little bit unusual. I mean, a lot of recruiters tend to be specialized in understanding their market. Um, I really love the technical standpoint because most of my time, is spent understanding candidates first, Mm -hmm. and secondly, understanding and educating clients on the potential of that candidate base. Mm -hmm. So some years ago, I started talking about hybridization and the hybrid roles in data. So what I mean by that is when we look at data analytics, coupling someone's data skills, their capabilities in that space, be they a great data modeler, a segmentation style person, a marketing analytics person, um or a, let's say, a statistician. You couple that skill set, that core capability, and you combine it with with a domain. And in doing that, you then create a a wonderful hybrid. So I often talk about one of the most difficult roles to fill in the the world right now is a digital data scientist. Mm -hmm. This is someone who is a combination of data science, thinking, analysis, reporting, predictive analytics, um, who understands how digital technologies work, be that programmatic technologies, um, in the advertising space so for example you know why does google or, or facebook place an ad in a certain place at a certain time based on your traffic based on your history um, what about the sentiment of your search history and your personality connects to that from a data level and generates a sense of your experience of that world, of that personified view, um, that you experience, experience when you go onto your browser. So that for me is a digital data scientist. And the same could be applied to the world of insurance, where you have, which, which would have been traditionally actuaries, and now most actuaries say to me, I don't want to be an actuary anymore. I don't want to predict risk. I want to be a data scientist solving problems that are associated with risk. So, for example, banking clients talking about risk data scientists, risk data analysts not traditionally, or sorry, what would have been traditionally known as quantitative analysts. So you've you've got that resurgence in roles now where it's about the tech and the knowledge combined, and that's a hybrid. So broadly speaking, I would work on data engineering. So classically, a data engineer, Mm -hmm. um, a data scientist, um, a marketing analytics analyst, um, a data analytics developer, which I think is a really interesting role to talk about because that's, that's a very nouveau role which leans into the world of cloud and cloud technologies. Um, I'd often work on, you know, roles that have a digital slant as well as a um, dominized, let's say, or or domainized slant. So that could be a role like an e-discovery analyst, so someone who's combining the best of legal knowledge with uh, text analysis, sentiment analysis, so going through documents, utilizing data science with automation. So it's a really convoluted... um, area to work in in terms of hiring talent, because if there is data, there's definitely a role. But I suppose it's up to me sometimes to help a company coin that role. Um, you asked a good question there as well to convince my point. Is it, is it senior hiring? Is it practitioner level? Is it management level? It's all levels, really, because, as I said before, there's a lack of specialists in the space in terms of senior hiring. Um, we'll often work on retainer with certain senior organizations to help them coin their first uh, roles at senior level. Mm -hmm. or top table, as I like to call it. So that would be your chief analytics officers, your chief data officers. And that really goes right down to people who want to be uh, very compartmentalized. So that could be someone who wants to work on a certain stack. That could be a data engineer who actually sees himself as a Scala developer. So you're a Scala developer. But they're all part of that data ecosystem. And they're all part of whatever stack and and over, let's say, overriding uh, architecture that an organization is working on.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's very, very cool overview. And I totally admire and it's actually inspiring to hear that point of view of combining like what you call a hybrid combining the data science knowledge plus uh where is it going to be placed what kind of uh domain is that data science knowledge does it need to be applied to and what kind of data scientist can you hire for this company or what kind of data scientist can this person become? Um, very, very cool. Tell us a bit more about the lack of specialists. So you mentioned there's a lack of specialists across the board from um, junior data scientists to senior data science to uh, the top table, as you called it. Why is there still a lack? Like data science has been around for, you know, probably a good 10 years now. You'd think that by now there would be enough d- uh, supply of data scientists who are able to build these roles. What is your view on that?
1: Sure, so I think there's, there's two ways of looking at that. The first part uh, would be a simplistic view, okay, which I've had for many years, which is, you know, you've got great data people who are in the wrong role. So yeah. my role then becomes informing them or educating them on other ways or other means by which they can apply their skills. So for example, someone coming from the insurance sector and customer analytics can easily apply that skill set to the world of gambling. You know, in a, in, a, in a more digital orientated domain, and, and make so, and
0: make money at the casino. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you know, it's it's a pretty vibrant sector, you know, um, <laughs> and one see that as we know as well. To be fair, to your listeners as well, it's been regulated very very well too. And yeah. uh, there's good honest work in there as well. Um, like all things in life, you know, sometimes things need to be regulated, and you know, data has has a role in that too, and anomaly detection and and protecting people. And we can probably mm-hmm. touch on that again. Mm-hmm. The other way of looking at this as well in terms of a lack of talent is, is simply to do with the rise in demand. You know, it's almost frightening, girl. You know, um, organizations are realizing the potential in data. They know that there are pockets of excellence in their business if they just get their data under control. Um, and when they really unearth the simple things, so they get their CRM in place or, you know, they, they're recording their data correctly on a BI level, they start realizing that there's huge potential in predictive analytics or in, you know, combining indirect or or kind of non-relational databases together, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when the magic happens. Uh, The other way of looking at this as well, away from demand and and people possibly being simplistically in the the wrong role, is the lack of, you know, candidature coming out of colleges. I mean, universities are really doing some incredible things to, to increase the volume of graduates and data but a lot of candidates who are going to study who are going to study data courses are being recruited out of college before they ever finish mm-hmm. um, simply because their tech stack is is so in demand and in their minds you know a 3 or 4 year degree is is too long you know, it's just simply too long because the pace of change is so great. So they're either very lucky and move into a role with a great company who will give them all of the opportunity in the world to facilitate their knowledge and capability. Um, and then they will go from there or do some contract work for a while and or get involved in a startup or then join a global company. Or they will, I suppose, realize that and be a product of their success and in their own right, you know, almost go back to their tech stack solely like great programmers. And data science, you know, people talk about data science being the new oil. You know, data analytics in general um, is so in demand that colleges quite simply can't keep up with the pace of applications in some cases. Um, Intake classes are getting bigger and bigger. And as a result, you know, many of the universities are creating new courses which are there to attract people in, but simply maybe can't fully um, support The extent of the the skills and demand that needs to be there because of the technologies evolving at the same time. So in Mm -hmm. Ireland one, one example university is the University of Limerick which has created one of the world's first courses in a master's level course in artificial intelligence and that's divided up in terms of engineering and tech stack it's also divided up in terms of an entrepreneurial stack and depending on the demands that organizations will have on those unique domains with the data skills in mind you know will those students finish will they be available You know, will the intake of classes coming in after that, even though it's a a, a new course and a pilot course, um, will they be successful um, by the time that the company's needs change and the tech stack may have changed globally as well? So they're the challenges we're under right now in terms of that um, initial lack of talent.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And from a recruitment perspective, there's there's a lot of uh, listeners uh, listening to this podcast, probably the vast majority who are passionate about uh, growth, self-education and specifically doing that online, online courses, online learning, online, uh, you know, podcasts and so on. W- what is your view as a headhunter, a recruiter uh, about candidates who didn't go and complete a master's of data science or artificial intelligence, but learned all those skills online? Do they have an equal chance of getting a placement in a, a job in this uh, industry in data science?
1: You know, it's a, it's a really interesting question, and it probably goes back to why, you know, your own following and your business is successful. You know, continuous professional development is, is an absolutely paramount and critical part of data, okay, as far as I'm concerned. You know, the first question I get from candidates is, you know, I've done these extra courses. Should I put them on my, my CV, on my profile? Absolutely, you should. I mean, that's, that's not only is it evidence of your interest in the area, but it's also evidence of, you know, having your, your finger on the pulse, as it were um companies really love that stuff it's it's essential it's it's added value because there's no curriculum that's going to cover every single part of how simply how vast the world of data analytics data engineering um is so it's it's absolutely a prerequisite i think for for people now in data to realize that you know working on projects outside of work continuing to build other languages into your repertoire is essential and companies need that companies love that do I feel that, a, that that makes up for a lack of maybe traditional academic training? You know, we're, we're living in a, in a very different time now. I mean, global organizations, for example, EY, um, some years ago said, well, look, having a degree is no longer um, a requirement to come in and join their organizations. That's really promising for people that maybe have uh, grown up in the world of data or even technology um, in their bedroom, you know, accessing different courses, accessing code, you know, creating interesting projects. I mean, how many entrepreneurs, how many tech entrepreneurs do you know, have set up businesses based on proprietary code that they've created? Um, Or even data scientists who maybe won a Kaggle contest, you know, created a phenomenal model. And you think about all of those companies who put on projects onto Kaggle, for example, and solve some of their their greatest challenges, you know, in in an open source capacity or a crowdsourcing capacity in terms of uh, data science knowledge. So, You know, it's an interesting question because a grounding is absolutely essential. You know, I think having, you know, some tertiary education is is really critical right now in the world of data. And it's it's becoming, you know, a little bit easier for people because there are courses tailored to their skill set now internationally, uh, which is really promising. and, And, you know, we have to hand it to the universities that they are doing that, but also the technology institutes you know, they've become a really powerful place as well for this because they're again on the pulse of innovation, you know, seed capital. There's that combination of commercial thinking and data capability and data techniques. So I do think, you know, particularly for your listeners who may be looking at changing or or career changing or maybe looking at the first data roles, showing evidence of hands-on application, showing evidence on your GitHub of some models you may have worked on um, and showing kind of wider appreciation for, you know, a knowledge base or, or a specialism of her own away from the norm is really really exciting and really really important. So I'd encourage them not only to obviously listen to, to your podcast and obviously take in that soft skills element but also to kind of really upskill day to day and realize that that's really powerful. Uh, particularly where soft skills come in as well as the hard skills.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And I've I've been like I love that you mentioned that because I've been saying this for I think over a year now that Guys listening to the podcast, if you want to be super, you know, successful and really boost your career, make yourself visible, right? Like, like agent saying, post your code on GitHub. If you're using Tableau, learning Tableau, go on Tableau public and post your dashboards. Of course, you know, the caveat is don't post any company sensitive information, but your <laughs> own, yeah, exactly. Your own projects, your own like, uh, the interests the, the, to show that you love this field you're passionate about it. so you've got github you've got uh kaggle competitions you've got tableau public you can go and uh, just start writing about what you're learning what you're discovering what you're experimenting with just write a blog post and you don't even need a blog these days you can publish them on medium for free or you can publish them on linkedin very powerful tool we had a guest here randy lao was about a year ago uh, he went from zero to what is it, like 40,000 followers on LinkedIn within a year just by publishing his learnings about data science and machine learning on LinkedIn as blog posts with images and code. And now he's, I think he's at 70,000 followers because in doing that, you're not only making yourself visible to recruiters and companies, you're also actually helping other people. So you're you're doing a massive service. You're like uh, killing not just two birds, like three, four, five birds with one stone. And that is all, you know, at the price of, you know, what the cost of like two hours per day or five hours per week of your time to just write up a blog post or post up some images online. It's a massive, very powerful tool these days. And Adrian, this is, this is my view that there's a lot of demand. As you say, there's a lot of demand for data scientists right now because companies, I love how you phrase it, that if there's these pockets that they can really get a lot of value out of in terms of in their company is data pockets that they, if they tap into them properly and get them organized, they can get a lot of value out of it. And at the same time, there's a lot of, I find there's a lot of data scientists like there's a million people on Kaggle, you know, like our courses have been taken by 700,000 people. And uh, there's there's plenty of data scientists who want to get in in uh, into this profession. But the problem for recruiters and companies is that in this ocean of applicants, it's really hard to find who who's actually going to stand out, who's actually going to bring value to the company. Like if you have... If there was like a shining beacon or like a gem in this ocean of, you know, people in this crowd, you would ju- jump at it. But unless there's that beacon, unless there's that gem, you can't really tell. You have to go through like thousands of applications. It's a very tedious process. So, as long as you can make yourself stand out and you can not just send a resume in, but actually say to a recruiter like if somebody came to you Adrian and they said, "Hey Adrian, you know, like I want a job in data science." By the way, for the past year, I've been posting all my learnings on data science, on GitHub and on LinkedIn. And I have, you know, 5000 followers and I've helped 15 other people. I've mentored this one person. And I think, you know, I only started in data science two years ago, but I think I've learned a lot. And it's all documented by the pet projects I've been doing, which I totally love and I'm passionate about. Like, how would you feel about that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I kind of equate this to the creative world. So if you were a content developer, you were an artist, you were a videographer, you know, you put your work out there because you're proud of it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, You know, you give people another way, another vehicle of communicating with them and reaching them and and hitting them emotionally, perhaps with with their work. Um, So I often say to people, have you got a portfolio? Okay, have you got a website? Maybe you maybe you've got some something that communicates a little bit more about the essence about what your passion is. Really love this. For years and years and years, I've always been someone who will always create a website or I'll always have an updated LinkedIn page or I'll use Twitter or I'll use other vehicles and means to just communicate with my with the base that I really want to be engaged with. Because meaningful conversations are what create meaningful opportunities. Um, and that also applies to people's applications, their their roles and careers. Also, as you said, getting the attention of a recruiter. And it depends, of course, on what country or domain you're in. Naturally, um, recruiters are going to reach out to you or headhunters are going to headhunt you um, if they can find you. If they can't find you, however, and if you don't necessarily want to be found, and there is a segment of people out there who are, and I'm sure they're nodding now, going, yeah, I, I get a lot of calls and I get a lot of messages and a lot of mm-hmm. them are relevant. You know, and if, and if you're one of those people, what I encourage you to do, however, is yes, have your content base, maybe make it a little bit more difficult to, to be found but be, be public in terms of communicating with your audience. So go to events, you know, how many meetups are there around the world? You know, I go to meetups all of the time here in Dublin and across Ireland, um, talk to data people, but more importantly, you know, identify people that are passionate by the tone and which, by which they present their knowledge, their findings, um, and how willing they are to share and collaborate with other people. So you've got to remember that it's it's not only about the digital assets, our online resources and all those things, we live in a H2H world, um, and that's a little bit of, a hopefully, a profound sounding point, I don't know. But, you know, in a world where we're so busy being socially engaged and, and constantly um, barraged with messages and engagements and, you know, everyone is on their phones all of the time. Sometimes you need to peel it back. Speak to people, go to an event. If, if that tickles your fancy and you're going to meet new people and get excited about that, that might be a place where a recruiter will find you. Uh, I spend a lot of time in, in, the, in those uh, environments. I found and engaged with some wonderful people. If I even think of the week ahead, even from a, a, a simply commercial standpoint, I'm meeting someone in a, a global consultancy who I met at one of those events. And I just had seen that that person has moved, moved into a really interesting role and, and they're looking to hire. So it, it works in all sorts of vehicles and means. But I do think, and I have to agree with you, Carol, on this, that being a little bit more collaborative and sharing, and adding your piece to the world, adding to that global uh, repository of data, data sets and, and kind of interesting means and vehicles to solve problems is really important because you're adding to what we're doing as a data community you know we're we're solving problems we're changing the world we're you know getting excited about you know the early stages still the early stages of what the potential of data analytics data science data engineering is Um, and being part of that is sharing that and and also putting yourself out there and yes i'll be very honest it helps you get found Um, it also helps you uh, differentiate yourself when you apply for a role um, and it's also just the storytelling element because I spend a lot of my time telling people stories. So talking to data scientists and hearing what they're about, what they're interested in, what they do, and then just as in pocket and aside, they'll say, "Oh well, you know, I'm, I'm working on a model and something, and it's it's really interesting." And I'm like, "Oh no, no, tell me more about this." Because, you know, i you may just have a client who's looking to do exactly that, but they're pulling their hair out because they they haven't been able to find that solution through even some of their global uh, tech partners. You know, mm-hmm. so you know you have to kind of market your nuggets of difference and your value and realize your value and be passionate about it and also be willing to share it and um, of course as long as you uh, protect your ip and you do it on all of the, the very um creative ways that we need to need to incorporate when we do those things but more importantly that you uh, that you're careful about the decisions you make and of course obviously you work with the right companies who are going to foster those ideas and not necessarily
0: take them away from you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally and uh, for uh, i want to just make sure that we're not excluding anybody out of, out of our listeners in case you're uh, not looking to find a new job in case you're happily employed which is it's totally like the dream right like you are happily employed you're not looking for opportunities and you might think that all this is not really relevant to you why would you you know put yourself out there and share content or go to meetups and so on it's still really cool to network and build a network of data scientists because you might not be looking right now for a new opportunity you might be looking later or um, even if that's still not the case if you're like super happy with where you're working which is again the dream i really wish that to everybody in that case by doing this you're still attracting that network and maybe you will help your company get some visibility or maybe you'll help your company find new talent to join your team and show the world that wow these are such real cool interesting projects or maybe you'll just meet somebody who'll give you some new ideas you know like going to these meetups is not always just about getting a new job, sometimes you go there and you find new ways of doing things, new ideas of doing things, or you you share something online in your GitHub or somewhere like on LinkedIn. And then somebody might say, hey, you know, like that's a really cool way of solving this problem. I've also solved it. And I did this. I took this approach. Like you learn new things through, um, through as, as you said, Adrian, through this community. We're part of a community. So it's very important to interact with it.
1: Absolutely. And I think about how you and I connected, for example, you know, you had some phenomenal posts. A number of people had uh, liked it on, on LinkedIn, I think was the platform. I you know I thought I have to comment on this, I have to share this because this is really, really interesting, um, you know, mm. relevant material. And, you know, we connected thereafter and, and now we're obviously in the middle of a conversation. So there's nothing wrong with putting yourself out there. You know, I mean, if you don't put yourself out there, sometimes, you know, you, you can close yourself off classically to a world of opportunity. Um, and I would take your point again on, on terms of your base, maybe that aren't looking out for, for roles or specifically about their careers. You know, you just never know who you're going to meet and you never know because there's seven billion people in the world. That's a big data set. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's be real about that, you know. Um, and human factors are, you know, if you if you're going to kind of create opportunity, you're going to enlighten your world or change up how you see the world. The more conversations you're going to have are going to really enlighten that.
0: Awesome. That's that's a really good point. And I think at this stage, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we'll talk about a question everybody's interested in. Salaries. Salaries and remuneration. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to hear it from you because you are in this space. This is what you do for a living. You place people and make sure they're getting paid right and the companies are paying right. What are, like, we all hear about these crazy astronomical figures that um, data scientists or some data scientists are making you know upwards of two hundred thousand uh, dollars per year. What are the real numbers? If you if you of course can disclose these, share these. What are, on average? What do data scientists make? Data scientists engineer, data science analysts, developers, uh, executives, and and so on. What are what can you share in this space?
1: Sure, I can tell you that it's. Um it's it's varied okay that's, that's the most politically correct statement i can make okay so some of your your followers are, are based in the u.s market obviously see internationally uh, i work a lot in the european market and at least for market as well so it it always goes back to the niche uh, that someone's working in and the demand for that talent at any one time and that that's ubiquitous i mean that's across the world in, in any part of tech you know the first question i get asked is how much is too much Mm-hmm. From a client perspective, so sometimes it's it's important to kind of put yourself into that into those people's shoes for a second and say, well, look, we've got a budget, we've got a big project we need to deliver, um, you know, talent are powering that because talent is is a critical cost and it's it's a uh, it's the driver, okay? So, you know, I always start at practitioner level or, or people who are starting out. Let's say um, in the European market, it's completely standard for people to start at in around you know, thirty-five, forty 40,000 euro, okay, if we're using euro as, as an equivalent here mm-hmm. for a second, uh, we can maybe come back with some figures on this later on or, or follow through with a, a sheet of comparison, let's say, on, on this girl. Um, so as a starting point, that's, that's quite a good starting salary because, you know, executive roles, or when I say exec roles, are, are generous entry level roles, let's say, starting out, uh, traditionally have been paid at the lower end okay so some people have, have grown up in roles and they you know they they've worked really hard at the start and they they're happy to be there or they're interning um, and that's shifting companies realize that they have to pay a really solid starting salary as a statement of their interest in those individuals also driving salaries is the element of retention you know, data people are moving faster than they ever moved before. And mm-hmm. when I say move, I mean, their loyalty to organizations. So they're starting at, they could be starting on a, on a huge figure, but it's not the main driver for why they stay in the business. So when I talk to companies and when the candidates talk to me about what they should be paying and what they should be earned respect, earning respectively, it goes back to, is the project interesting or do we think it's interesting? And then as a result, do we think that the candidates that we're going to represent are are going to be interested in this particular project? Mm-hmm. So. From the entry level up, we're talking about the thirty to forty thousand euro mark. Where it gets really interesting is when people have three to four years' experience under their belt or they have a domain um, of expertise that they're really passionate about. That's when people start moving into really astronomical figures. Um, in the East Coast, okay, of the US market, for example, if we touch on there, um, it's a demographic thing. It's a, it's a regional thing. Salaries are, are often paid higher in, in New York for for various reasons. Um, and then if we go to Silicon, okay, we have a, we have a totally different viewpoint. We have a standpoint that's based on innovation, creating unique IP in data. So it's very much about fostering new ideas, fostering um, effectively very commercially valuable uh, material. Okay. And that has a price because keeping that in a business, you know, needs to be rewarded um, to keep effectively to keep people in the business at, at all. So, you know. The variances in those salaries in the US market are, are, are vast, but it is largely regionally dependent. Um, what is unique, however, is this whole theme that's been around for a couple of years is that if someone has come from, and we touched on this earlier, a top tier university, you know, a globally respected university, they should be paid these incredible salaries. Um, maybe that suits the brands, maybe that suits those universities as fee generating businesses. Okay, let's be, let's be honest about this and be frank about it. Um, or is it about the caliber of the talent that they're producing? Um, and if those people are as good as they are, and, and in many cases are that good, they're deserving of those salaries. So what the senior end things get a little bit more complex because we're rewarding for experience, rewarding for knowledge of multiple domains and technical expertise, as well as the ability to, to drive a vision. Um, and to imagine better ways of incorporating data into the business to impact on the ROI and the bottom line. So senior executive salaries in data are climbing at an alarming rate. And I say alarming because organizations simply don't know what they should pay. Um, and I mean that. So I've looked at some recent mandates recently where we've been retained. For example, when I say retained, we're, we're paid in advance to really orchestrate these searches um, because they're they are complex and they're really globally orientated. And um, you know at top table you know senior professionals are are drawing in equity they're expecting bonuses they're expecting um hearty senior salaries um but they're also expecting various perks and accoutrements to ensure that they're going to stay with the business longer term and at the core of that is a trust in their vision because their roles are often quite disruptive if you're a cao or a chief analytics officer and um, or, or caio a chief artificial intelligence officer incorporating You know, deep learning technologies and and technologies that will potentially automate jobs, you know, you, you damn sure better be very good at articulating that vision without effectively annoying people that have been in the roles a very, very long time. So also knowing how to communicate the value of data, as well as recognizing the value of people therein in that vision are critical. And as such, we're looking for very, very unique people who, um present more than just leadership characteristics. They're phenomenal communicators. They're also phenomenal uh, change masters. And they're expecting, in some cases, uh, up to and beyond six figures. Um, when I say six figures, I mean the, the very high end of the six figures. Um, and in some cases, with packages all combined, they could be going to seven-figure salaries mm-hmm. uh, to deliver the level of performance, depending on size of organization, of course. So that's a reality the companies need to be aware of and need to know that, um, it's it's really happening and for those at the kind of middle point or maybe people who aren't uh, in the world of data at all but are interested in data, um you know when they're looking at business and when they're looking at other people and the changing you know role of data in businesses, they need to be cognizant of how that impacts on other people's salaries as well.
0: Mm-hmm. okay, well that's a that's a very good over can you um can we rewind back a little bit so entry level about thirty five to forty thousand euros. Uh, somebody with three four years of experience, you said it's a regional space, uh, for instance, in the U.S. East Coast, different to Silicon Valley. Uh, do you have any figures there just so that we can have a rough ballpark? What can somebody expect with a three to four years experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, particularly at the U.S. market, I mean, it's it's very easy to estimate that it's anywhere between 80 mm-hmm. to $140,000, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with various perks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say perks, I mean, that's that's. You know, obviously your healthcare and your your plans, of course, but Mm -hmm. also uh, bonuses are are very common now in data because there's a commercial quotient associated with the success of data models. Mm -hmm. Um, Companies are now measuring that in the the bottom line. They're going, well, how much of this came from really clever models, Mm -hmm. very clever use of analytics, Um, because that's going back into their spend in the year ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, from a kind of a, a European standpoint, again, you know practitioners again at the three four years experience mark are probably looking at 60 to one hundred euro it's just equivalence you mm-hmm. know salaries are higher in the us okay by nature you know it's mm-hmm. just the way that the uh, the system the economic system is structured but i have seen data professionals with you know a very small amount of experience you know getting into the high end of the 60s and 90s um, in the us market with two to three years experience it just depends again on how valuable their skill set is, is it niche? Is it in an area that is up and coming? Is it an area where um, there's a huge amount of disruption? So for example, computer vision or autonomous driving or in areas like um, deep learning, again, you know, AI, which I still I still go back to saying deep learning because I think we're, we're getting there, but I don't think we're, we're at the AI point just yet. Mm-hmm. But again, those people who are disrupting and doing the R&D in those areas in particular can expect higher salaries because they are being rewarded, of course, for their academic knowledge, mm-hmm. but also their research perspective. And those again, in, in other guises of data roles, so for example, the data engagement managers, the data engagement executives, people who, who understand data, but aren't hands on practitioners, um, are moving into interesting roles as well because they're connecting the business as well as the knowledge of data and they have to be rewarded. So that's somewhere between 50 and $120,000 as well with, you know, three to four years experience as well. Mm-hmm. So salaries are rising, you know, and uh, it's not an open checkbook scenario. Okay. Which is, which is the, the, the phrase I've, I've heard from some HR professionals, but there is a realism about, um, you know, keeping people in the business and, you know, getting what you're, what you're due. Um, but I say to people time and time again, It's not solely about that. I mean, you have to be there for the project, you have to be, you know, you need to be looking for variety and you need to be sure that, you know, companies are buying into you and what your potential is and perhaps also rewarding you for, you know, the time that you're spending away from the core projects, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're adding more value to other areas of the business as well. Um, So it's okay to be uh, demanding. Okay. Uh, But it's also very important to recognize that, you know, these are businesses at the end of the day, you know, where people are sharing profit, people are sharing um, all of this value together and people are creating, um, you know, innovation, you know, and, and that in its own right, is hard to measure, but people need to realize also that at the end of the day, you know, there are business owners, there are corporate entities um, and the success of the models and the, the design and the engineering, the architecture that these people bring in um, has an impact on the long-term capability and vision of those businesses and effectively their jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. gotcha very very uh cool um you and what i wanted to go from here towards is that like i like what you said about uh it's not just about the salary right it's about the different projects that you'll be working on it's also about the opportunities that you will have with that company and we already touched on um the chief um, analytics officer the chief ai officer there's also roles like uh, chief data officer, chief data scientist, and, and others in that space. So can you tell us about what you've seen in terms of, career of careers of data scientists? What are the possible routes that a data scientist's career might take them and the choices that they might be faced with along the way, transitioning from Uh, introductory level data scientist to practitioner to data science manager and to data science executive what are your comments on that
1: yeah. So it's, it's, it's something that I've have really watched over the years. Actually, of at times I sit down and I try and write a matrix for how these roles evolve. Um, I would have, you know, worked with many companies who say to me, okay, we, we want to promote someone internally. You know, you've placed this really great person with us and, you know, we're trying to decide whether they're management material or they're leadership material or, you know, maybe they're, they're happy to, to drive projects or mentor other people. So there is an emerging, let's say, Uh, career progression path in data science. I think you touched on it there. So people will start as maybe a a junior data scientist or a data science developer, evolve into a data scientist, a senior data scientist, a principal data scientist, maybe a data science manager. And then from there in move into the role of, let's say either a principal data scientist from a uh, commercial standpoint or a chief data scientist from an ownership standpoint. And when I say ownership, I mean the tech stack as well as the vision of the products. As well as the um, autonomy given to that particular unit or or scope of the business, uh, where data is concerned in terms of product or productization or innovation in their particular domain field. So that that is that is one trajectory avenue. Um, in terms of where people go from their roles in data science or their initial early roles, I mean it's fast. One thing I can't deny at the moment and it's it's a, it's a topic that I think some of your listeners may have may have heard or maybe be involved in that conversation and I'm sure you're aware of for self curl is the I suppose the absorbing of data science into data engineering because we're seeing a huge amount of technological advancement in the way that models can be run off shelf or uh, various kind of mundane tasks can be um, automated using data engineering as a result there are new roles being coined therein so you know software analytics developers, data engineering developers, data science engineers, um, and those roles are really nouveau, and it's going to, you're, you're gonna see a kind of a movement of people who would have classically been in the statistical world or more quantitative world, let's say, or the quantitative sciences or decision sciences, as some people call it as well, depending on the markets you're in, moving into more um, hybridized data guises. So combining the best of data engineering, data engineering automation processes, and data engineering principles into their data science works. Or in inverse, seeing some data engineering practitioners moving their knowledge into data science. Because in many many cases, data engineers are building platforms and systems and warehousing uh, projects and cloud projects that support the needs of data science solutions. And that can work, as I said, in, in, in inverse. It just depends on how you want to, uh, I suppose, utilize your skills in a maverick way. Um, but what I do generally have to say, uh, or sorry, what I, what I find is generally a theme at the moment um, is that is that rush towards data engineering. It may be that organizations are still moving from on-premise to cloud. I think that's still very much a reality. And that may be just topical for right now or, or the next six months. Uh, but definitely with the you know incredible work that's happening in terms of Google Cloud and the I suppose just the scale of data that's, that companies are working on as they uh, grow out their platforms, we're going to see a lot more focus on how data engineering and data science are interlaced. Another kind of interesting point as well, just on on data engineering, you know, something I've noticed over the last while is a lot of data architects, people who are in that kind of design piece um, visionary piece in terms of the programmatics and tech and particularly in data are moving back to more hands-on development as well because I think uh, the general theme there and certainly from people I interviewed they say well look I want to be more hands-on I want to be in the heart of the action I don't want to be looking at it at a high level so you know the future going forward is, is an interesting one from the perspective of where these roles are be I think that pod mentality is certainly evolving here again where we have a knowledge expert coming with the domain knowledge of their organizational guys uh, let's say an insurance professional or a HR analytics leader or a HR professional, let's say, coming in, fronting a project, a data engineer, a data scientist and a data analyst, all working on the on the data end of the technical side and that person guiding the uh, conversation with the actual needs of the business. So definitely we're going to find a lot more of that close collaboration because the lines are blurring in terms of the techniques, um, but we will need people to kind of step in with a pure specialism, when I, call it, when I say a pure specialism, someone who really knows their stuff in one domain and is, is quite a purist about that. So, you know, an AI developer, is that a role now? I think it is. You know, people who understand how to work with deep learning, understand the technologies behind that and are really passionate about the applications of it. But those are people who are seeing beyond what we're doing right now, and they are disruptors. And of course, they're trying to uh, push the business forward and utilize new technology really, really fast. Um, you know, and again, those people will find themselves having to norm with other people working very closely and their own internal view of their role will change. And I think that's certainly that's one of the key things that's part now in data, that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're morphing a little bit mm. into new roles all of the time. And I think it's really important as a headhunter and a recruiter to help people to realise that, you know, it's not, it's no longer just about being titleist. You know, you won't always be a data scientist. That's OK. You won't always be a data engineer. That's OK. But you may be. Um, you may morph into a role that uh, that you never thought you'd, you'd do before. You might find that you like leading people. You might find that you like fronting the business. You may find that you want to be an entrepreneur and you'll step back from hands-on and you'll be more technically orientated towards the technical sale. So, the, you know, it, it's fast, but again, people need to trust that it will change and have a little bit of faith in, uh, you know, the evolving role of what is the modern data professional.
0: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes, that's a very very accurate overview. I, we actually at Deloitte when I worked there, um, people could progress through their careers naturally as a um, analyst, then you go to senior analyst, then you go to manager, then you go to director. And from director, that's where you start need to start making uh, working with clients, making sales, and then from there you go to partner and then you become like you that's all you do you sell to clients Uh, and so some people wouldn't be interested in that some people wanted to continue doing the technical side of things and so therefore instead of going from manager to director they had the option of going from manager to principal and principal was kind of like a working director somebody who's actually in in the um, in the tools all the time so even companies large large companies like deloitte recognize this that it's not for everybody. And therefore, you know, following Adrian's advice here, it's important to structure your own career. What do you actually want? It's okay to try things out, but don't force yourself to be a manager or a leader of people if that's not something that you're passionate about. If you just want to do the technical side of things, that's totally also okay. And you can grow. You just need to communicate that to your own manager, to uh, the people that are running that business to show them that Hey, I can add most value in this way or in that way. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Not fitting into certain, conforming to certain boxes. So yeah, that's uh, that's the where your career can take you. Thank you so much, Adrian, for the overview. We talked a, quite a bit about different, you know, AI engineering, um, technology roles. How important are soft skills in all of this? Like from what you're seeing, and i am I'd really Be interested to get your professional opinion on this because, like, from my uh, observations, the highest paid data scientists, the most in-demand data scientists are not just the virtuosos of coding and algorithms and, like, people who are really passion and dedicated to that to the technological aspects the the hard skills that's that's very important but the most successful and high paid data scientists are the ones that can actually bridge the gap between the insights and the business decision makers so those who can not only derive the insights but who can communicate those insights to the people who need to hear them what are your thoughts on that how important are soft skills you
1: know, when I hear that question, what immediately comes to mind is the evolving role of IQ versus EQ. So when I think about, you know, uh, soft skills in businesses, I think of the change quotient or EQ, you know, how capable are people of adapting, uh, moving in a direction that suits based on the environment that they've got, the, the various people they've got in the business um, and being able to, to I suppose, push the business forward or the organization forward with those subtle um, qualifiers in place or not in place, as the, as the case may be. So soft skills are absolutely paramount, particularly now at a time when organizations and people are becoming a little bit more cognizant of H2H interactions. I, I think I touched on this earlier. You know, we live in a very social world. We're on our phones. It's a simple line, but it's, it's it's effective. So getting people into the room, being tactile, you know, engaging with people, talking to people, presenting ideas, helping other people to communicate their own ideas, you know, how, how often is it the case that you've got the smartest guy in the room, but he just can't, guy or girl in the room, I should say, and they can't say or communicate what, what it is that they're, you know, they're thinking. So being a great enabler, I think, is the is the critical point with soft skills now and being cognizant and aware of where you sit in the team, where you sit in a conversation. And that applies to people in, in, who are listening that aren't necessarily working in a, in a data role. No. You know, um, also the ability to, you know, recognize not only, I suppose, your value, but recognize other people's value, you know, and your value systems and, and morphing or being a little bit of a chameleon, you know, you have to do things sometimes in the world of business, in the world of organizational design, and um, that aren't necessarily comfortable for you, but are going to really elevate other people and push them forward. And as a result, push the project forward. So when we talk about soft skills, you know, communications for certain. Yes, presenting, talking to other people, communicating and articulating your, your argument um, or your point um, in a way that's ubiquitous, applicable to most audiences. Also, you know, being able to technically explain. And when I say technically explain, you know, oftentimes in data and in analytics and engineering, we've got really complex, um, you know, undertakings, complex projects. Your audience is not always going to be a technical person. So you need to be able to tell those stories. And I talk about great storytellers all the time. You know, as a recruiter, as a headhunter, I tell people stories every day. Um, and yes, they're often very technical. You know, how do I walk into a room and talk to an audience that don't necessarily understand what uh, the latest Kaggle contest model is or even the concept of Kaggle sometimes? It's not to say that these audiences don't understand that, but sometimes they just simply don't. It's not the world that they're working in day to day. So it's very important for data professionals to undertake courses, continuous professional development like that, that which you have yourself Pearl, in your business and, and to kind of look at things in a different way and um, also look at their tone. You know, look at the way that they're articulating their point. They're under a lot of pressure to deliver something. Uh, but, you know, take time to step back. Look at things in, in, in the bigger view, in, in a world view. Um, and also when we talk about soft skills, you know, I mean, influencing, you know, influencing that you are, you have the right point, influencing other people that they have the right point. Sometimes the people that they're wrong. And being wrong is, you know, it, it's, it's part of life, it's part of business, it's part of organizational designs again. But you need to know how to approach those things. And also conflict conflict is a critical point because we're at a time of change. Organizations are designing what systems, platforms, technological advances to utilize. Data professionals are coming in with with superb ideas, but often very disruptive ideas that change how businesses have been structured and work for years and years and years. So there may be times when someone's gonna come to you and say, I don't really like that, here's why. And you have to learn and you have to know and at least have the the means to handle the variables and control the variables um, and come back in a considered way with a rebuttal, effectively, and know how to dilute situations of conflict into positive outcomes. It, you know, they sound like very simple things when well, we do them every day, but I mean, there are better ways of doing it. And there are people who are expert in those areas. Um, so I highly encourage people to, to recognize those things. You made the point, Kirill, uh, as well about senior people not being necessarily the virtuosos. Um, maybe it's because they know how to speak to a, to a greater cohort of people and communicate those things to a greater cohort of people. You know, I, I think so you know i think that if you're someone who's conscientious if you can train yourself and bear in mind it's important that you can train yourself these are skills by the way um you can train yourself to be better at approaching situations and appealing to more people but obviously you don't want to lose your sense of your personal brand and your opinion um so you know, i think for soft skills coming to focus you need to consider you know what what are you trying to achieve what courses maybe very relevant for you and very relevant to the majority of your team, let's say, or, or your colleagues, or or people maybe in your day-to-day life, because you can apply a lot of these things to your private life as well as your commercial life, you know. Um, and then you need to take an action and create a plan. So sit down with yourself, make a list of things that you want to improve on, self-assess, and then slowly apply the things you've learned into your work environment, or your day-to-day life, and see what comes back. And I promise people, I promise them right now, that if they take a small change, incorporate it, work with it for a little while, work with those soft skills, they will see dividend. They will definitely see a return and it will advance their career. It certainly will.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Adrian. That will wrap up on that. Very, very insightful notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these insights with our audience. Before I let you go, can you please tell us what's the best way for uh, people to get in touch and connect with you?
1: Sure. So I'm a... Uh, I think I said in our earlier conversation, no more than yourself, Carol, you know, being out and about, being engaged, being socially engaged and using all the wonderful social platforms we've got now is, is really paramount for people. Um, I'm a LinkedIn aficionado, so I've always used LinkedIn uh, since the very early days of LinkedIn has been there, but you can always uh, reach out to me there. So I'm on uh, Adrian Clark. one is my uh, username there on LinkedIn. At IT Search. We're obviously based here in Dublin so you can always reach us at itsearch.ie and also my email is adrian.clark at itsearch.ie if anyone wants to reach out for a little bit of advice or they're looking at uh, maybe their next role or they're looking at maybe setting up in Dublin and want to hire some people as well. But you can use any of those ch- uh, channels of course and uh, I'm always willing to engage and network with this, uh, this community because you know we're in together. And, uh, you know, let's keep the conversations going. And I thank you very, very much, Kirill, for for being one of those beacons um, in a very busy data universe, you know, and producing great content and inviting people in to, you know, to give their opinions. Opinions are great. And uh, I look forward to people sharing theirs with me as well.
0: Fantastic. And uh, I want to say thank you too, as well. Like, you're also sharing tons of great content uh, for our listeners. Adrian's got uh, 20, almost 24,000 followers on LinkedIn. This is this is crazy, <laughs> man. That's huge, huge. Congrats, man! Um, one more thing before before we wrap up, uh, finish off. Uh, what is there a book that you can recommend to our listeners to help them through their careers and on their uh, paths to success?
1: You know, and, and, you know, you asked me earlier about this and I, and all throughout our conversation I've been thinking on this mm-hmm. uh, and I and I think of a book that I read many years ago. I, I spent some time in the Middle East markets when I worked in oil and gas and energy uh, well before I ever got involved in the world of data. Um, and I saw those people, I saw those organizations um, utilizing data to effectively reduce extraction and, and see that change and that's actually what inspired me to get into data analytics really because I saw the power of it. and. The decision to come back to Ireland at the time actually was driven by reading a book by a phenomenal guy called Jack Canfield. Okay, some people nodding already going, yeah, I know Jack Canfield. But there's a wonderful book called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it's one of those books where you really shortcut everything. He summarizes some of the best self-help books um, in the world. Okay, There's nothing wrong with self-help, like soft skills, Um, and he takes the best of that knowledge and he summarizes it and he breaks it down and he he leaves you with these wonderful useful um tidbits that really help you to kind of crystallize your thinking or thoughts and i sat down with that book and i i did what he said you know read it three or four times make a plan and put things into action and i really recommend that book for people that may be taking the first step into self-development okay or particularly for data professionals or um those starting out their careers or even those at top table it's a great book to focus your mind on you for a minute because we live in a busy world where people want from you and you know, you're know you constantly busy and your phone is going and you're on social and I use that line again. Mm-hmm. You know It's okay to take a minute for yourself and read something that's really, really for you and remember that you have a place in the world and you need to focus that energy. So Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield. He's a phenomenal guy. Listen to some of his work as well if you can. Um, he talks a lot of sense
0: fantastic that was adrian clark ladies and gentlemen thank you so much adrian for coming on the show and i'll talk to you soon
1: thank you carol thank you very very much and thank you for listening guys
0: so there you have it ladies and gentlemen that was adrian clark from it search head of their analytics recruitment I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. My personal biggest takeaway was probably the whole notion of the hybrid professional that Adrian talks about and that is very interesting about how to find the right domain for your in, uh, for your data science skills. As we know, data science skills are very highly transferable and if you are proficient in data science, in for instance, healthcare, you could take those skills and very quickly get up to speed in another uh, industries, for instance, finance. And it's very important. And I think a lot of time people don't consider that their skills or their interests might be better aligned with a certain industry than another. So the whole notion of a hybrid professional that Adrian mentioned on the show was very exciting to me and that's not to say that there wasn't any other insights there's plenty of very powerful and useful insights in this episode so hopefully you got them all down and on that note as usual you can get all the show notes for this episode at superdatascience.com slash 239 that's www.superdatascience.com slash 239 there you'll also find the URL for Adrian's LinkedIn and Twitter. Make sure to connect with Adrian. Adrian has over 23,000 followers. You want to be listening to Adrian. You want to be getting those insights and you definitely want him in your network. And needless to say, if you're a business owner or you have a startup or you're an executive at an enterprise and you're looking to hire data scientists, Adrian is your guy to go to. On that note, thank you so much for being here today and I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.